just looking for my wife out there. I think she came, I'm not sure. But. All right. Um, great to be up here this morning on a Sunday that uh, such an important decision is being made on a building at another church. Uh, I think it's awesome, uh, the opportunity this is going to give Brookside. So I encourage you, feel absolutely free as I'm preaching this morning because they might be meeting right now and about ready to take the vote. So, you know, feel free to, like, pray for them on this. Uh, I, that'd be fine. I don't, don't mind that at all. Well, the word that uh, grabbed my attention when I read this scripture that Melissa just read for you is found in the 10th verse. It's the word Joy. Not a little joy, not even average joy, but joy at the highest level possible. That's what Matthew wrote. He said, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Dig into the full meaning of this word joy as it's uh, used within this statement and the words surrounding it. And you realize that it's comparable to words like euphoric or ecstatic or, or jubilant. Words like this with the word joy, and you get an idea of what these wise men were experiencing when they saw the star, and then when they, when they saw the Son of God himself. It's that kind of deal where they were giving high fives, bumping fists, and hugging each other. I mean, they, they really were very excited about this. It's the kind of joy that I'd like to keep front and center in what I'm going to be sharing with you over these next few minutes. And it's a joy that's so relevant to this joy that we experience uh, in these weeks leading up to Christmas. It's, it's not only for these next 16 days, but every day for the rest of our lives. You see, there, there, there's a certain irony in this whole thing of Christmas that kind of matches the experience that we can go through in life. And it begins very early. It begins when you're a child. I think you all relate to this and remember it, that during the month of December, you have this building anticipation for that moment when you're going to be able to open your gifts. Uh, it's like you've got this growing euphoric joy inside of yourself. And, and then that magic moment comes, and you're ecstatic as you tear the wrapping off the gifts that you've been given. I mean, it's just really a good deal, Right? And then it's over. Ever notice that? Uh, how you feel like you're waiting forever for it to come, even that night, you know? And, and then you just tear into those gifts, and it's over. I mean, did you, did you ever have that deal where you, you did the last gift, and you thought, can't be the last one. Maybe there's one more under the tree, and you, you actually go look, because it's like, it was way too fast. And you kind of have this little bit of a... Of a emotional letdown, you know, that, that, that euphoric bubble that you've been in for, you know, for a month, 
kind of, you know, dissipates a bit, kind of deflates. I think we can kind of go through the same experience as adults even. And it's not so much over the, over the gifts, but it's, it's us giving our gifts to our children and, and anticipating them opening and then grandchildren and, and, and then everything else that goes around this time of year where you've got this adrenaline and, you know, and you can almost get a, a bit of a, of a joy or a high from it and, and then it's over. In fact, you know, for some people it extends the week after Christmas to New Year's and, they, and it's that waiting for New Year's and, and New Year's comes and they experience it and then they wake up the next morning and there's... For some people, a bit of a letdown. Life, life is there again, right? I, I, I think you can take this experience that we have at Christmas and you can really, you can, you can see that it's, it's really kind of part of what we can experience in life, all of life. Where you, you go from one activity to another, you go from... Uh, one achievement to another, you go from, from one purchase to another, you go from one relationship to another, and, and, and there's, there's always some joy in that, but that joy is never fully satisfying, and it never lasts. And when that thing is over, when you're done with that, there's many times this kind of a lingering void within yourself. All of, all of this is why the exceedingly great joy experienced by these magi, these wise men, is so relevant to your life and my life today. It's a joy that isn't based on things or activities or, or the circumstances of our life. It's a joy that's based on a personal relationship with God. And it's a joy that, that, that truly satisfies us. It's complete satisfaction in it, and it, and it never ends. It, it can go on throughout our whole life and into eternity. That's what I've been waiting to share with you this morning. Now, the thing that fascinates me about this scripture that we just heard, we just read, is the huge difference in how people responded to the same event, the birth of God's Son. And, and the more I thought about it, it I, I realized it's, it's this response that is key to whether or not you, you and I can experience the joy that we all desire for our lives. On the one hand, you had these magi, these wise men, who traveled quite a distance to see Jesus. Uh, they, they lived in Persia, which, uh, you know, which is modern-day Iran, and, and depending on where in Persia they lived, the trip that they took was a very long trip. It was, it was up to 900 miles. It, it would be like going to you know, Washington, D.C., or to uh, Pensacola, Florida, or Billings, Montana, those, places like that. that about a 900-mile trip. And it wasn't an easy trip, and it wasn't a safe trip. And yet they did it because they were very motivated to see the king of, of the Jewish people. On the other hand, there's Herod, who was the current king of Israel. And, and as Israel's king, he lived in the city of Jerusalem. He lived in the, in the very city from which this baby, who would someday become the Messiah, would not only rule the nation of Israel, but would rule the entire world. And yet Herod, he had absolutely no interest in seeing this baby. Not, not at all. In fact, his motivation was the very opposite. He wanted to kill this baby. Uh, 
Matthew writes that he was extremely disturbed. I love that the little phrase that Matthew added to that that shows what was going on with all the people in Jerusalem. He said, not only was Herod disturbed, but all Jerusalem was disturbed with him. You see, the deal here, everybody, is when Herod ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Okay? Nobody is happy. This guy was ruthless. And then there's the religious leaders. I mean, you'd think they'd be on top of this, right? That if anybody would be interested in seeing this baby who would be the king of the Messiah, the king of Israel, wouldn't, wouldn't it be the spiritual leaders of the nation? But, you know, I didn't see it anywhere, did you, that they, that they went? They answered Herod's question. They, they knew that Micah had prophesied 700 years before exactly where this baby would be born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem was only six miles out of Jerusalem, but they didn't care enough to join these magi and go with them and find the baby. They, they didn't care. Do a bit of research on Herod, on the kind of guy he was, and you discover he was not a joy-filled man. There wasn't any joy in this guy, and he, he didn't bring anybody else joy. He, he was arrogant, he was selfish, and he was brutal on the people that he ruled. And, and then these, the, the, the religious leaders of, of Israel, uh, read Matthew's gospel or read any one of the gospels, and you're not, you're gonna, I think you agree with me, they, they are not joy-filled guys at all. They didn't, they didn't bring any joy into anybody's life. In fact, they were nearly as bad as Herod. They, they, they too were arrogant, they were proud, they were self-centered, and, and they were about as hard on people as, as Herod was. Both a huge contrast to these magi who Rejoice exceedingly with great joy when they found Jesus. Here's the deal, everybody. In our world today, people are still responding to Jesus the same three ways. Our world is, has a whole bunch of Herods. I could give you one example after another of, of, of rulers of nations, of men and women in power who will do anything they can to suppress the truth about Jesus Christ. In fact, I mean, all the way to killing those who are followers of Christ. And then like the religious leaders, there are many people in, in our world who, who lack, any vital, lack a vital relationship with God for no other reason other than the fact that unlike the Magi, they've, they've never taken the time, they've never made the effort to find out the truth about Jesus Christ. And because of this, God's remained a distant deity for them and and, and the Son of God, whose birth we celebrate at Christmas, is, is still a stranger to them. I mean, right now you might be thinking, you know, Steve, I'm not a Herod type. I've, I've never stood in the way of anybody finding out truth. But, but I'd have to admit that I haven't done much of anything to find out the truth about Jesus Christ. You're not a Herod, but you're like the religious leaders. You've, you've had many years hearing about the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem. You could, you could tell the Christmas story and not miss a detail. You've heard it so many times. But you still know in your heart that you don't have a personal relationship with God. This could be any one of us. 
And so what I'd like to do is just take a few minutes to look at these wise men to, who took the time and made the effort to see, to see Jesus. And, and, and they're, they're great examples for all of us of what it means to seek God in such a way so that God can, God can be found. These men, they did their search. We're going to look at what motivated it, why they did it, when they did it. We're going to see their diligence and why diligence is so important. And we'll see its conclusion, how, how you know, the end result in, in all of their lives. And so, first of all, their motivation. Read ancient history and you discover that these men were astrologers, which in that day was a mix of, of, of philosophers and, and spiritual leaders. They were highly, highly educated and highly respected by, by everybody. People, people in Persia looked to them for guidance on how they should live their lives. Even the king of Persia looked to them for the counsel and the wisdom that he needed to lead the nation. They were highly respected. Men of influence and men of power. These men as philosophers and, and as spiritual leaders of, of the nation were, were deeply concerned about the mysteries of the universe and the mysteries of human existence. And they believed that, that the answers to all these mysteries that were troubling them were to some degree found in the stars. They, they, they believed that God had diagrammed the grand workings of history in the stars. So for them, the study of the stars meant that they would be able to understand the past and they'd be able to look into the future. While they were looking into the stars, studying them, a fascinating thing happened. They saw something occur in the heavens which caused them to believe that the king of the Jews had been born. And what they saw, nobody knows for sure. Some believe that it was a conjunction of the planet Saturn and the planet Jupiter, which scientists tell us that actually occurred during that year. Actually, in three, three different times it happened. And when it happened, it created this, this, you know, this very bright light, which for, for the Magi would appear to them as, as a star in the heavens. Others think it might have been a comet. In fact, I... I, I did some reading on this uh, in preparing this sermon, and I realized just that comet thing, that could be a whole sermon. In fact, you, you, you want to do something fun? I'll just give you. There's a church in Des Moines called Valley Church, and somebody told me that they, they had the guy, I, one, of the, one of the experts at their church on a Sunday morning. So I'd say, man, if you want to have some fun, go online, Valley Church, and and, and watch that. I think you, it's fascinating to realize how it really could be a, that, that deal of a comet. Or it might have been a supernova. Some people believe that, that it, it was a, a, a light that God himself created for this very unique t uh, moment in time. And I could see that too. Whatever it was, it got their attention and it convinced them that the promised king of the Jews had been born. And so that's what motivated their search of Jesus at this particular time. Now, if you think about this, you might be wondering to yourself, well, how is it possible for these men 
who lived in a distant nation to know anything about a baby that was going to be born in the nation of Israel who would become their king? And that's a great question to ask. And it happened because there were Jewish men and women living in the nation of Persia who told the people there about, about the God that they believed in that was very different from the gods of the Persians. Un, unlike the Persian gods who, that were uh, impersonal and, 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 and uh, wicked and cruel, the God that, that the Jewish people worship, the God we, we worship, is, is very personal, very much involved in our lives, and, and holy and loving. Now, these wise men would have heard all about this God. And they would have read the Hebrew scriptures. They would have been familiar with all of the prophecies given not only about his birth, but also his death and his resurrection. Prophecies that were written hundreds of years before they were even born. <laughs> and it might be that they had come to believe in this God. And now they want to see him. Or it might be that they were still in that wondering, asking questions, part of their spiritual journey. And, but personally, I think they got it. See, I think they did their search, first of all, in Scripture, began, before they began their search, where they literally, physically went to see God's Son. But whichever way it was, when they saw the star, they, they were convinced that it would lead them to the king of Israel. And if they were right and it did, they had already decided they were going to worship him. I don't think I'm stretching it to say that each one of us have our own star or stars that get our attention and cause us to ask some, some very, very deep questions about God, our relationship with God in the meaning and purpose of life. Your star might be the universe. The sheer magnitude and beauty of the, of the galaxies and the planets and the stars. It might be the genius of the human body. And you believe that, that God, there's a creator, there's a God who created them both. But, but you wonder, what is this God like? Or your star might be this sense of right and wrong that's built into you. What what C.S. Lewis calls a, a, a moral oughtness. The sense, this is what I ought to do. You know that's built into you and you believe that it's pointing you to a God. Your star might be a challenge that you're facing in your life or a challenge that, that, that you faced in the past. And, and, and it's, far, it's, it's far too big of a challenge that you can face on your own. And so it's got your attention and you're thinking about God. Your star might be your own mortality. And you're asking questions about life after death and, and what can you expect and how do you prepare for that? Or your star might be what, what I already mentioned where you have this, this void inside of yourself. And even, no matter what joys you've experienced, those joys, they, they were never fully satisfied and they always came to an end. And it's just got you thinking. Is there something more? There are things that you and I see and experience that make us ask some very penetrating questions about God. And, and even though these, these wise men lived in a world that was so different from ours, I believe they were asking the same questions. 
And I'm convinced they found the answers to their questions in this king that they searched for and they found in Bethlehem. And I believe the same thing is possible for each one of us today. If I could sit down with you, I'd look you in the eye and I'd say, with all my heart, I'd say, you know, I'm convinced that all the answers to your questions about the beginning of life and the meaning and purpose of life, I'm convinced you can find those answers in God's Son, Jesus Christ. And then I say, but there's something that you've got to know. You've got to know that the greater the value of something, the greater the effort it'll take to accomplish this. And once again, these wise men are a great example for us to follow because of the diligence in their search. We know they were diligent because they, they went to the trouble of packing their bags and leaving Persia and heading west to Palestine. Again, a long trip, not an easy trip, not a safe trip. It wasn't by car, it wasn't by bus, and it wasn't by train or plane. You know, it was by camels. And if you've ever ridden a camel, you don't want to ride them long, okay? They are not fun to ride. I can tell you that from personal experience, right? But they made it. Because they were determined to see this king for themselves. You know, it's possible to want to find answers to your questions. But, but you're not motivated enough to do what it takes to search for those answers in God himself. And the problem with this is that God's infinite. And if this infinite God is going to be understood by people like you and me are, who are painfully finite, it's, we've got to be very serious in our search for this God and understanding him. It's got to be priority number one. Nothing, nothing will be more important for you than seeking to know the truth, everything that's true about this God. And, and, and honestly, I just can't possibly emphasize this too much. So let me ask you, how's your search after God going? Would you say it's casual, it's hit and miss, it's, it's something you're not really putting that much attention to, that much effort in, or, or is your search for God serious? Is, is it something that's front and center in your life, more important to you than anything else to know all that's true about God? I hope it's the second, because of how it all ended for these wise men. I don't know if you realize it or not, but when they arrived, Jesus was no longer a baby. He was a young child, somewhere between one and two years of age. And the, the word that Matthew uses to describe him in this scripture is a very different word than Luke used to describe the, when, when the shepherds went to see him when he was a newborn baby. The important point is this. When they found him, they recognized immediately who he was. That he was the promised Messiah from God himself. And, and they responded as every person should respond to God's son. Matthew writes, On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. When you find God, you discover the holiness of God. 
and your own sinfulness and your own need of forgiveness. It's, it's also a discovery of, of the grace of God and the love of God in sending his son to be your savior. And more, the more you understand the greatness and the holiness and the love of God, the more you're compelled to worship him, which is exactly what happened to these wise men. It's what they didn't do. They didn't do. That convinces me that they believed that this child they were going to see was the son of God. That they, that, you see, they didn't come unprepared to give him their gifts. They didn't come to the house and, and see the child and, and then at that moment have this like aha moment, you know, like, it really is the Son of God. And then run off to downtown Bethlehem to find something to give him, whatever they could find at the last minute. I've, um, one, of my, one of my brothers, uh, I would say, and it's an understatement, was not a planner. And uh, when he would come home with his family, I think I was, I don't know, middle school, high school, uh, for Christmas, he hadn't bought any gifts yet. And our family, we would open our gifts on Christmas Eve. And uh, we could just count on it. It, would, it wasn't even in the morning that he would start doing it. He would, he would somewhere like toward the end of the morning or in the afternoon realize, I haven't gotten any gifts yet. And, 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 and he would take off and go to his store. And, and I'm, 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 I'm not kidding you, he would buy all the gifts. And I, re, I remember, I think I went with him at least one or two two of those times, and it was like a crazy experience. I mean, it's, it was like he, I, 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 honestly, I remember this. He, he, he was, saw something, you know, that he thought he might give to his wife, and he actually asked me, what do you think? You think this is a good gift? And I was like, I don't know. You know, it was like, you don't want to be that guy, right? You do not want to be. And, and these wise men, they were not that kind of a guy. They didn't do that. What they did was gave, they gave Jesus gifts they brought with them. The gifts that were exactly the right gifts that should be given to a king. Especially the king of the world, the universe. And so Matthew writes, And they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Anybody ever... Have a Christmas where you had your heart set on a certain gift. That's the one you wanted desperately. And you kept waiting for that package to show up under the tree that would be the, the right shape and the right size that, that you could say, yeah, that gift could be in that, in that package. Anybody ever go through that or am I the only one, you know? And you waited. Week, you know, week one, week two, week three. And now you're down to the last week and you still don't see a package that should look like it should look under the tree. And, and, and you get down to that last day in the final hours and, it, and you're, now you're starting to hope like, well, maybe, you know, maybe it fits into a package of different size and shape that I thought. And, but you open all your gifts and you never got it. It's like Christmas story, right? Ralphie, wanted that Red Ryder BB gun, right? Anybody? Love that story. Love. Do you remember that where he's sitting with his parents between them on the couch and they're, they're teasing him like, Ralphie, you okay? Yeah, I'm all right. Yeah. And, and then they surprise him with his gift. I asked our small group if anybody ever had that experience. And one of the guys said, yeah, right. He said, I, I wanted 
a gun for hunting in the worst way. And he said, you know what I got? My dad, he had, I guess there's several boys in the family, he said, my dad made wood stilts for all of us. Wood stilts. I would love to have seen the look on his face when he, when he got those, you know. Uh, wood stilts. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> I always wanted wood stilts, you know. Um, you know, I, I remember thinking as a kid, I wonder if Jesus was disappointed. I mean, he's two years old. Let's say he's two years old. He, he understands what a gift is. I think two-year-olds do, don't they? And, 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 he, and he got gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Can't you see the look on his face? Like, yeah, you know, and, and, and then his mother just putting him away so he doesn't destroy him, you know, you know, like pour him out and, and, and that kind of thing. I mean, what does a two-year-old do with gold, frankincense, and myrrh, right? Seriously, they were treasures. More important than that, they were their treasures. If you underline in your Bible or highlight, you know, highlight the word their, their treasures. That they gave Jesus what they treasured the most, which is exactly what Jesus deserves and exactly what Jesus desires from each one of us. And doing this, that exceedingly great joy that they experienced when they saw the star and when they saw Jesus. It didn't stop. It didn't end. When they went home, they went home with this amazing gift of joy that God gave them when they gave God's Son their treasures. And I'm convinced it stayed with them the rest of their lives. Don't miss this. Don't miss this, everybody. It's key to experiencing a never-ending, joy-filled life that can only be found in Jesus. Give Jesus your treasures. Give to him those parts of your life that you treasure the most. I, I think a, a good way to understand what this, you know, what this means in life is, is that is to draw a contrast between Herod and the religious leaders and these wise men. You, you see what, what, what Herod and the religious leaders did is they created their own, their own little world. And guess where they put themselves? Right in the center, okay? Right in the center. And what they did is, is like, you know, the whole thing of this world is them. They were... They were what was important. And what they did was they sucked. They just had this way of sucking everyone and everything into doing exactly what they wanted them to do to make their life exactly the way they wanted their life to be. That's the kind of world that they treasured, that they valued. A self-absorbed world. And they thought that kind of world would give them joy. But it did the very opposite. It made them, it was a miserable way to live and they were miserable men and they made life miserable for everybody else. And their world got smaller and smaller. In contrast to the Magi, and I mean, if you want, you want, to, you want to know how to live a joy-filled life, this is how you live it. So the Magi, they live in, in a world too. They live in the same world we live in. And they didn't care where they were. They, they didn't put themselves at, at the center. So they, I mean, let's say they're here. 
And their way of looking at the world is not what the world's going to do for them, but what they can do for others. And so you take their arrows, and they're exactly the opposite direction. Instead of them thinking of what other people can do for them, they're thinking about what they can do for other people. And by doing that, their world is just getting bigger and bigger. It's expanding more all the time, and they're filled with joy. See, you can do this today, and I can if you see your world the way the Magi saw theirs, that it's not about you, it's about what you can do for others. It's seeing that God has poured his treasures into your life and, and looking for ways to pour your treasures into the lives of others. And here's why there, you and I have every reason to do this. That baby that those Magi saw, and that young child, he grew to become a man. And through all the days of his life, he did what none of us have ever been able to do. He lived a life of perfect obedience to God. And, you know, everything about him was righteous, what he thought and what he said and what he did. And then he was crucified on a Roman cross. And when he died on that cross, he took all of your sin and all of my sin on himself. And he bore the judgment of God for our sin, what you and I deserve. Now, the good news that we find in Scripture, and as part of the gospel, is that there's something that you and I can give to God. In fact, it's something we got to give God before we give God our treasures. Got to give God our trash. The trash of our sin. And you really can do it, everybody. I can do it. You can do it. You can, you can take your treasures and you can, your, your, the, your trash, and you can just hand it right over to God. Because you know why? Those prophets that predicted the birth of Jesus, they not only predicted his birth, they, they predicted his death. For example, the prophet, the prophet Isaiah wrote this in, in chapter 53. It's a great, he said, We all like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord God has laid on him the sin of us all, the trash of us all. You know? And so what that means is you can take your sin and you can just hand it over to Jesus and he'll take it on himself. And, and the reason this can have a life-changing impact on your life is that Jesus didn't stay dead. By the power of God, he was raised from death to life. Amazing, isn't it? God gave you his greatest treasure. God gave you his son. And if you put your trust in Jesus in his death and resurrection and give him the trash of your sin, God's going to give you the greatest treasures you could ever have. The greatest treasures. The gift of forgiveness. Total forgiveness. Complete forgiveness. The gift of a lifelong relationship with God where, where the wisdom of God can guide you and the power of God can strengthen you and, and give you everything you need for everything you face in life. And then finally, the gift of eternal life. Life with God forever. All of this making possible and giving you every reason to give God what you treasure the most. And, and, and I hope you do this because, quite frankly, that's what wise people do. 
And when they do, they experience that same exceedingly great joy that those wise men experienced so many years ago. And it can be a lifelong experience. As God pours and gives his treasures to you, taking those treasures and giving them to Jesus Christ and pouring those treasures out into the lives of other people. See, the more you do this, the greater and deeper your joy will be. See, that's the way to joy. That's the way to joy. Let's pray and why don't you stand with me and We'll do that, okay? All right. Let's pray. Father, I, I do ask that um, your spirit will help us trust your word, trust the truth of scripture. And I thank you, God, that if we search, you with, search for you with all our heart, You'll be found. And I, I thank you, Father, for your grace through Jesus Christ, that he's our Savior, that he came here to this earth to provide forgiveness and eternal life for each one of us. I pray this, Father, in Christ's name and for your glory. Amen.